word with us. Let's give him a hand. Morning, everyone. Can I have some lights there? Because I can't see. My eyes are dim, I cannot see. I have brought my specs with me. Some lights, please, boss. That one's not working. The theme for this month has been outreach, as you well know. And uh, it's towards, yes, thank you, towards the end of the month now, and there's been at least seven to eight sermons on outreach. So I'm trusting that God has given me a fresh word yeah. to bring to you this morning. Um, I believe He has. So uh, I ask you to stay tuned um, and listen in. I've titled my message this morning, What Stops Jesus? There are many things in this world that we like, would like to know how to stop. How to stop viruses from getting on our computer, I think is number one. How do we stop getting sick? How do we stop the tragedies of this world? How do we stop wars from waging on? So as human beings, there are many things that we want to stop in this world that we don't like. But have you ever wondered what stops God? What stops Jesus? Some of you may think, well, maybe Satan can stop God. But the answer to that is no, because Satan was defeated many, many years ago. But maybe there's something more powerful that can stop God. Something that could short-circuit his power. So what stops God in his tracks? Well, let me set the scene for you. Jesus is on a very important mission. It's probably the most important mission of his life. He's on the way to the cross. This is a very significant mission. And Jesus is passing through the town called Jericho on his way to Jerusalem where he is going to die on the cross for you and for me. His sights are set on accomplishing this mission. He is focused on this mission. He is committed to this mission. He is dedicated to this mission. In fact, he is fixated on this mission. He is going to go to the cross. He is going to do what he came here on earth to do, to save you and me. And he's on this journey to Jerusalem, surrounded by many fans, many followers, people jostling for position to be near him, to walk close to him. They're shoving and pushing each other. The crowds are following him, and they're pressing on towards Jerusalem on this mission, when suddenly Jesus is stopped. So let me read Matthew 20 from verse, uh, Matthew 20, verses 29 to 34. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they had heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. 
Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately they received their sight and followed him. Now, while Jesus surely was a busy guy with lots of things to do and see, do you notice what stops Jesus? What stops Jesus is when his children call out to him. In the farming world, where there are farms in drought-stricken areas and rain is not in abundance, farmers will construct what is known as an irrigation channel. And an irrigation channel is normally a very long channel. And it runs from a reservoir or a dam that is far away from where the farm may be. And that channel runs all the way towards that farm. And it allows water to come onto the fields as and when the farmer decides that he needs water in those fields. And so when the farmer requires water, he opens up the irrigation channel gates and the floodwaters flow through. And these floodwaters run all the way down to the fields where they bring life and growth to that field. Rain ditches, on the other hand, are quite different. They also get water in them when it rains. And they are a means, sometimes, of a short supply of water, if they can. You may ask why? Because rain ditches normally have stagnant water in them. How do they become stagnant pools? Well, nobody maintains rain ditches. And so when they are dry, and when there's no rain, weeds grow in them. Litter falls into them. Rocks and stones fall into those rain ditches. Debris clogs them up. And so when it rains, the rain gets jammed in those rain ditches and cannot flow. They become stagnant and polluted. Water is trapped in those ditches. Today, I feel the great tragedy is that too many Christians are like rain ditches instead of irrigation channels. We want to have the blessings of the rain come down on us. Lord, bless me. Lord, fill me. Lord, give me. But what happens if water just flows in and nothing flows out? The water begins to come stagnant and polluted. And Tara shared on this a couple of weeks ago, so I'm not going to belay that point. She more than adequately covered it in her message. Suffice to say only that if we have our fingers pointed inward, in other words, we are saying, what am I getting out of this church? What am I getting out of this message? What am I getting out of it? We are going to become stagnant. What God wants is quite different. He desires that we become irrigation channels. Not simply that He can bless us, but that He can bless others through us. He does not just want to bless me. He does not just want to fill me. He wants to bless me so that I can be a blessing to those around me. And that's the way He designed us. If I only seek God to fill me, bless me, and give me stuff, do you know what happens to my faith? It becomes stagnant too. 
it becomes polluted too. And I know for a fact that none of you want a stinky faith. We want a faith that's working. And in order to do that, we must never forget the value of a single soul. While crowds are great, Jesus teaches us never, ever to forget the value of one single soul. And I'm going to read from you from Luke 1, verses 1 to 4. It says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke, the Gospel of Luke 1, 1 to 4. While it is true that Jesus thought of and preached to the big crowds, Luke, especially these verses, teaches me that Jesus never forgot the one. Remember the parable of the 99 sheep that he leaves on a hillside to go and fetch one lonely lost sheep, worthless, almost worth nothing to society, but he goes off and fetches it. Luke chapter 1 shows something of great kingdom importance, people. Most people don't know this, but that Luke was not one of the 12 disciples. He was not an apostle. Scholars say that he probably gave his heart to the Lord in a place called Antioch many years. In fact, I think about 170 years later, during one of Paul's missionary trips, way, way, way after Jesus was crucified and died. It is also interesting to know that Luke, who wrote the gospel according to Luke, funny enough, had never seen with his eyes the miracles that Jesus performed. He never walked on the dusty roads that Jesus walked down. He never saw lepers get healed. He never saw demons being raised out of people by Jesus. He never saw the blind being able to see. He never saw people being brought back to life by Jesus. You see, Luke is just like you and me. He wasn't there when Jesus was around. It's also interesting to note that when Luke wrote this book, he was not writing to the masses. He didn't write this book to become the bestseller. He didn't write this book to become the most popular book ever written. He wrote this book for one individual and one individual only, and that was his great friend Theophilus. And why did he write it to him? Because he wanted Theophilus to know who Jesus is. Don't be a rain ditch. Be an irrigation channel. Here's something that you can relate to, I'm sure. People in our society today are searching for something. And many of them 
don't even know what they are searching for. But people want answers today. We live in a very, very economic, problematic world right now, especially in WA. But in the world, nations are fighting against nations still. Terrorist threats are probably at their highest that they've ever been. Earthquakes are happening more regularly now than ever before. Volcanoes are erupting. Nature itself seems to be in an uproar. And there are other bad things happening in everyone's life. And so you can be sure that people are searching for answers. They are searching for solutions. Where are they looking for these answers? Where are they looking for these solutions? They are looking for them in the media. They are looking at politicians to answer their questions and their solutions. They are looking at things that bring them pleasure. They're looking at achievements. They're looking at money. They're looking at alcohol. They're looking at drugs. They're looking at the internet, chat rooms, philosophies, horoscopes, science, you name it. They're searching for it. They are looking and they are listening to whoever is speaking. It seems that many people are looking for answers to life, but they're not looking in the right places. They are not looking at the one who created life, who gives them the answers and the solutions. And I ask myself the question when reading these passages, why aren't they looking to God for their answers? Why aren't they looking to God for their answers? Maybe, guys, Maybe it's because we as Christians are not telling them. Maybe we're not telling them. It seems that there's a lack of motivation in the church today to share the good news with those around us. I just want to ask you this. Can you remember the last time you told someone how great God was or is? Can you remember the last time you told someone that God loves them? Brandon's telling his mate right now, which is cool. Can you remember the last time you told someone that Jesus died for their sins? Can you remember the last time you told someone outside the church the good things that God has done for you in your life? I'm not talking about Christian to Christian. I'm talking about people outside of these four walls. You see, the question that begs to be answered is what would happen if each one of us would just reach out and touch one, one person who is searching for an answer, one person who is searching for a solution. What if we reached out and touched him? One person who needs Jesus, who needs to be reached and pulled out of the miry clay and place their feet upon the rock of God. What would our church look like? What would the church in Australia look like? What would the church in the world look like if each one of us just reached out to one individual? Don't be a rain ditch, people. Be an irrigation channel. Luke did not see what Jesus did. So he needed to investigate. It says so in the scripture. His account involves his own personal investigation to the claims of Jesus. 
he went out to Mary and Joseph. And he says to Mary, Hey, Mary, weren't you in an unfaithful relationship? No, she says. It's immaculate conception. Really? You really think so? He went out and investigated. He went and spoke to the disciples. They told him the story of Jesus walking out into the middle of the lake. Can you imagine how that story went? Peter's telling Luke, man, we were sitting in the boat, storm, we were pooping ourselves, we were about to sink. Here comes this guy walking across the water. Man, were we scared? We thought it was a ghost. You should have seen it. You should have been there. We were petrified. Peter calls out to him, the numbnut. Next thing, the guy's coming closer. He said, we were petrified. He calls out, we find out it's Jesus. Next thing, Peter's jumping out the boat. And we were then petrified because he was walking on the water. Can you believe that, Luke? Luke's like, no ways, mate. I said, no, 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 Jesus is a good swimmer. Maybe he was swimming fast. No ways. He was on the water. He was walking. Peter was walking on the water. But you know what? He sank, mate. He got so wet, it was unbelievable. Jesus had to grip him and pull him back into the boat. Can you imagine when he was with the 5,000? Luke's investigating the 5,000. Jesus went and spoke to 5,000 people. Yep. And he gave them all lunch. Yep. Who were the caterers? Nah, he didn't cater. You're telling me Jesus didn't cater when he's going out for 5,000? He's not that stupid. Yes, he was. Surely people brought potluck dishes along with him. No, the disciples said. There was just some snotty-nosed kid there with a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. Fed 5,000. Luke went and investigated every single story. He knows for a fact. He can account for it. That's what the book of Luke is all about. Investigation. And why did Luke do all this? Why all the trouble to investigate the story of Jesus? Why did he go through all that work? Then he writes 24 chapters of Scripture. It's simple. Why he did it? He recognized the value of a single soul. He contended with his faith so that he could tell Theophilus who Jesus is. Luke contended for Theophilus and Theophilus alone. Somebody, somewhere, somehow, has to fight for the one. A few weeks ago, Duncan arranged a men's fellowship. And we were going to watch a movie and then go for coffee. Unfortunately, the dome was closed afterwards, but that's besides the point. But we went and saw a movie called Hacksaw Ridge. It's a great movie. It's a gory movie. It's a very graphic movie. It's a very moving movie, and it certainly brought me to a place where I thought I'd parked some time ago when I was at war. But it's based on a true story. And without spoiling the movie, hopefully for those of you who have not seen it, the movie is about a man called Desmond Doss. He's a medic in the field regiment back in World War II. And his regiment are tasked to take on Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge is a vertical cliff face 400 feet high and for the metric about 120 meters high. Vertical face which they had to climb up and attack the Japanese who were at the top. 
It was called Hacksaw Ridge because of the armory that was up there. They had machine guns and they would hacksaw anybody down that came over it, including Desmond Doss's regiment. They got a hiding to nothing at the top of Hacksaw Ridge, so much so that they retreated back down again and they went off to their base camp, leaving two armed guards at the bottom to stop anybody, any of the Japanese following them down the cliff. Desmond Doss was stuck at the top, not because he was forced, but because he chose to be there. And Desmond Doss went out and started to fetch the wounded, his mates, one by one. And he came back to this 120, 400 foot cliff, and he would lower one by one his friends and his mates down that cliff with a rope. He was continually under attack, under attack while doing this. But he never ceased. His hands were ripped. He had rope burn all around his back. He had rope burn on his arms. He had rope burn on his hands. But one by one, he lowered people down Hacksaw Ridge. And every time he pulled the rope back up again, he said this prayer. Lord, help me get one more. Lord, Help me get one more. That's what takes me back. Lord, help me get one more. Desmond Doss saved between 80 and 100 people that day. He not only saved some of his own troops, but he saved even some of the enemy who were injured that he cared for. And he lowered them down 400 feet so that they too could be saved. Who is the one in your life? Who is the one? Who is your Theophilus that you need to reach? Maybe it's a friend at work. Maybe it's a cousin or a relative. Maybe it's the person that you meet at the shops regularly. Maybe it's the person sitting next to you in the doctor's rooms while you are waiting four hours for the doctor. Who is the one that God has put in your path? Who is the one that God has put for you to reach out to? Opportunities, folk, do exist. They are there. Please don't miss them. Don't be a rain ditch. Be an irrigation channel. Luke knew he gave his very best and made sure that Theophilus would know who Jesus is. Fuck, I beg you, who is it that you need to do your best for to make sure that they know Jesus too? Jesus teaches us always to remember the value of a single soul. Don't get caught up in the fact that the church sometimes has to talk to the masses, and it does. It's necessary to do so. We have to, as a church, sometimes fight for the crowds, absolutely. But we also have to fight for the one. We sometimes make mistakes in church, and we focus too much on the crowds, when Jesus wants us just to focus on the one.
but we too are human. Jesus would speak to thousands, and that is in the Bible. But he never forgot to stop the mass ministry, to heal the one widow, to heal the one demon-possessed guy, to heal the one woman in adultery, the one paralytic, or the one blind man. Someone said it this way, and I can't give them any honor because I can't remember. But these were wise words, and they stick in my brain. The great men and women of history were great, not for what they owned or for what they earned, but for what they gave their lives to accomplish. We often take the wrong things too seriously and the serious things too nonchalantly. Let me prove my point. We were at a quiz night last night, uh, House of Hope, and uh, I'm in the quiz mode now. So let's, so let's try a little quiz. Mm. How many of you can name the top wealthiest men in the world? Anybody? Yeah, you useless bunch. That's one. Bill Gates' brother, two. I don't expect you to know the answers. Let's make it a little bit easier. Who were the last five uh, Miss Australias? It's a bit tough, isn't it? Hard questions. These are exceptional people. They've got to the top of their game. What's the matter with you guys, not knowing who they are? These are not underachievers. These aren't second-rate citizens. They're best in their fields. But let me tell you, the applause dies. The awards tarnish. Achievements are forgotten. Let's try this part of the quiz. Think of three people that you enjoy spending time with. Boom, boom, boom. Got the answers. Name three people who have taught you something worthwhile. Boom, boom, boom. I'm sure you've got the answers. Name three friends who have helped you in difficult times. List a few people who have aided your journey through life. It's much easier to name those, isn't it? Well, it was for me too. But what's the lesson? You see, the people who make a difference are not the ones with the credentials, with the fanciness, and stand in the front of the biggest, wealthiest men in the world, or Miss Australia's of the world. They are not the ones who stand in front of the biggest crowds, but the ones who have genuine concern and care. And this church is a church of one who has concern and care. Jesus never forgets that. Yes, he spoke to the crowds, but I remind you, he never forgot the one. The ones that make the difference, the greatest difference, and the ones who made the greatest difference in your life are the ones who were there for you when you were going through some tough times, when you were being tested yourself. Those are the ones whose names stick in your memory right now. My question is, who are you being there for? Who is the one Jesus has put in your life to reach? And I repeat, who is your Theophilus? See, the true character of a person is not seen in momentary heroics. It's seen in the humdrum day of life, everyday life, where you and I live. Not pie in the sky, but steak on the plate. 
I want to tell you a story about Stan Lee. I don't know if you, any of you know who Stan Lee is. Stan Lee is an American comic book creator. And his company created a six-week reality-based program called Who Wants to Be a Superhero? And they advertised this across America. And they were inundated with thousands and thousands of wannabe superheroes. Everyone arriving complete with their capes, their utility belts, even weapons. And when I was reading this article, which I found quite interesting, the next challenge really caught my attention. But let me give you a quick briefing on superheroes. As everyone knows, superheroes have a separate identity. They have a normal identity, and then they have their superhero identity. You look at um, mild-mannered Clark Kent, old Superman. He used to walk around, be quite uh, mundane, mild, but the moment danger happened, he'd shoot into a telephone booth, change, and out he'd go. Whoosh. Have a bit of trouble today, not too many telephone booths around. So I'm not sure where he'd be changing, but uh, that's his problem. But everyone knows that superheroes must have their day. And so, in this challenge, Stanley says to them that he's going to give them each a personal communicator. Now, he's whittled it down to about 12 or 15, 20 players now. I can't remember all the details. wasn't that interested in the article. Um, but he gets it down to about 15 to 20 players, and he gives them each a communicator. And he says to them, when I give you this, I'm going to give you this communicator, and when I, when I call you, you have to act. And these are the instructions he gives them. He says to them, he said that when he individually contacts them on their communicators, they were to quickly find a private place to change and then swiftly run to a designated goal area in true superhero style. So they were told to walk out with their normal clothes and carry their superhero kit with them. Feedback was the first superhero to get the call. He quickly runs to the nearest porta potty, changes, runs like the wind, runs through this public course, and as he's nearing towards the end, there is a young girl being put there by the crew, crying out for her mother that she is lost and she, her mother's not around. But feedback, straight past, no problem. Later, a monkey woman, complete with bananas on a utility belt, runs straight past this poor girl, gone. Finally, Major Victory, my favorite superhero in the story. He stops and he hears this girl's cry and he bends down and he asks her, where is your mother? And she, of course, says, I don't know. And he searches around and eventually picks her up and he carries her to the goal line in the public area's place. Three other superheroes did the same. Out of all the 15 or 20 that were in the finals. Only three stopped to help this young girl and carry her to the goal line, all knowing that their time would be poor in doing so. But after the challenge was over, Stan Lee gathered the superheroes back together for the elimination. And he explained that the challenge was not about how fast you could change your clothes or how fast you could race to the finish line, but about showing those who really had a heart of a true superhero. See, Stan Lee was looking for those who would selflessly give of themselves. 
and risk their own wants and needs. And I think it's what God wants of us too. Stanley said that the heart of a true superhero puts his and her own goals first, so aside to show others compassion and love. And it's what God calls us to. I'm going to ask the band to come up and prepare. But a true superhero for Christ is one with a heart just like that. With a heart that puts their own goals aside to show love and compassion to others. A heart that stops for others. A heart that stops for the same thing that Jesus stops for when his children cry out. A true superhero for Christ has the passion and compassion for someone who is hurting. And that feeling never leaves you. For those of you who know Jesus today, aren't you glad that Jesus took the time to not only look at the large crowds, but that he paused just for you? And if you don't know Jesus today, know this, that he is waiting for you to call out to him, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. He is waiting for you to knock at the door. He wants to come into your life and he wants to be part of it too. He knows the value of your soul, your single soul. Again, for those of you who know Jesus, the word is, don't forget the one. Take the focus off yourself and ask the Holy Spirit, who is the one, who is the one in my life? Who am I going to be there for? Who is the one Jesus has put in my life? Who is my Theophilus? Who is the one that I need to reach? I was really encouraged two weeks ago when Ken Lee preached here at Cornerstone, and I know Tara brought it up last week, but I'm going to say it again. Not just because it was a great message, but because he confirmed for me what we as a church are called to do. And if some of you can remember, about a year ago, God spoke to me, and I brought it to this church, that we are called as a church to be a Christian hospital, to be a spiritual hospital for those who are out there. And for me, he confirmed that so importantly for me that I thought I was on the wrong track. But he confirmed it two weeks ago for me. Because if we want to be a spiritual hospital, which I believe we are called to be, we need stretcher bearers. We need stretcher bearers. How do you get patients into a hospital? You go and fetch them. We need stretcher bearers. And that's exactly what he spoke about. So without going through his sermon, I'll ask, I encourage you to get onto the media section and listen to the podcast. It's an amazing message. We need to reach out of these four walls, people. We need to get to those who are asking questions. We need to get to those who need solutions. We need to get to those who are hurting. We need to get to those 
who are injured. We need to get to those who are dying. We need to go to get to those who are spiritually unsound. We need to be like Desmond Doss. Lord, help me get one more. Lord, help me get one more. Amen. As the band plays their final song, I'm going to ask you this morning, if you want to pray that short prayer, Lord, help me get one more. And I ask you to come up this morning. Stand in solidarity. Let's stand in unity. If you want to cry out to your Jesus this morning, if you want to stop him in his tracks, and you want to cry out to him, say, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me, then come up here this morning. Come up to the front. It's not going to be a mass prayer. It's you and God. Do you want to go and be a Desmond Doss? Do you want to reach out and touch your Theophilus? Do you want to go out and reach those who are lost? Then come up here this morning. Let's be honest with God. Let's ask for Him to help us do that. I know it's scary. I know it's difficult. But only if you do it in your own strength. But God is here. Jesus is here. He wants to help you. He wants you to take you to that point. How do you think Desmond Doss saved 100 people with rope burns from virtually the first guy that he let down? How do you think he never got shot after walking around the top of Hacksaw Ridge where they've got machine guns and chain guns firing bullets at 1,000 rounds a minute? Never been hit. Well, I think he got a bit of a ding in the leg. How does that happen? Because God is with him. And God is with you. So if you want to be a Desmond Doss, and you want to say, Lord, help me get one more. And as they sing the song, and I'm going to leave that to Ty, he's in tune with God too. Whatever song he picks, let him play it. But come and spend some time with him. And if you need special prayer, just raise your hand. If you want to come up here and spend some time with God, but you also need some special prayer, raise your hand. We will pray with you. There are leaders here that will come and pray with you. I will pray with you. So don't think it's not what we want to do as well. But I leave that choice with you this morning. It's really up to you. Amen.